Welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman, the podcast dedicated to helping you build the business of your dreams and live the life you always hoped for, with valuable and fun tips and info to make your life easier and more fun. And now, here's your host, a man who sprinkles metal shavings on his breakfast cereal just for fun, Jason Silverman. Welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. I'm your host, Jason Silverman, and I'm thrilled to share some time with you once again today. As you know, I'm always in the hunt for interesting as well as super smart Real Deal guests. And i got to tell you, today's show is absolutely a winner. Uh, I want to introduce my listeners to somebody who's truly been there and done that. And I'm excited to pick his brain both for your benefit as well as my own. Now, for the folks who I work with in any of my coaching programs or through Powerful Words Character Development or All-Star Cheer Sites... You know how much I focus on the importance of success cultures, right? Well, this show is going to help us to understand exactly how to build them and how to thrive in them. So today it's going to be my honor and privilege to share an amazing resource with you. You're going to love today's guest. He's got a ton of valuable information about what I consider to be one of those topics that really can change stars for people. So I want you to strap yourself in. Today's show is going to be a blast. As I'm sure you already know, I'm committed to helping business owners just like you to become more successful, enjoy your career more, and in general, make your life significantly more fun. Let's face it, folks, we only get one ride in this merry-go-round. It's up to us to make sure that it's one hell of a ride. Alrighty, boys and girls, it is time to stop surfing Facebook, put away your phone, your tablet, your dog, your cat, your spouse, your child, anything that might possibly distract you from today's show. You're about to get some great and immediately implementable information, and I don't want you to miss even a second of it. So, before we officially get going, let me give you a little bit of background about our special guest expert today. Daniel Coyle is the New York Times best-selling author of The Talent Code, The Little Book of Talent, The Secret Race, co-authored by Tyler Hamilton, Hardball, Season and Projects, and other books. Winner with Hamilton of the 2012 William Hill Sports Book of the Year Prize, he's a contributing editor for Outside Magazine and works as a special advisor to the Cleveland Indians. Coyle lives in Cleveland, Ohio during the school year and in Homer, Alaska during the summer with his wife Jen and their four children. Dan, welcome to The Real Deal. I'm thrilled to have you today. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Hey, the pleasure's mine. Listen, before we officially get started, for those who haven't had the opportunity and pleasure of meeting you or hearing you speak or reading any of your books, do me a favor. Take a second and share your story with our listeners. You know, What are you passionate about? What makes you tick? Who is Dan Coyle? <laughs> Great questions. I guess, some, uh, I guess one way to describe it would be to say that... Um, I have been sort of studying, you know, human performance in a lot of different, a lot of different ways for for about 20 years now. Looking at what makes greatness tick, sort of going underneath the hood of, of really, really top performers as a as a as a failed medical student uh, who got into journalism and kind of maintained that kind of uh, wanting to X-ray what's underneath. Because uh, I think a lot of our mental models about performance are kind of, you know, wrong actually. So there's a lot of new, fresh ways to look at. What makes what, what greatness is made of? Huh. I love it. So I guess I guess to dig in, then you know, like what makes successful people or groups or teams? What what makes them tick? Well, it's funny. I started a journey of some years ago around exactly that question, looking at at top performers. I went around and looked at talent hotbeds around the world in a, in a variety of different sports and domains, and business and art and music and math. 
And there's a story that we're told about talent and a story we're told about success. And that story is really a simple, beautiful story. It's like, well, they were just kind of born with some magical gift. And whether that's a, a, a group or an individual, like the Navy SEALs are just so great because they're Navy SEALs. It's just kind of this loop of logic uh, where we sort of figure, well, they're, they're different than us. When you actually go and spend time um, in in the presence and you watch how they train and you watch how they communicate and you watch how they lead, you see a really, really different truth emerge. Um, when you see greatness ends up being grown. That's, I guess, the best way to put it. It's not, it's not uh, born, it's grown, whether that is in a group or whether that is in an individual. In my latest book, which is called The Culture Code, uh, I, I spent time with, with some of the top performing groups in the world and looked at the patterns they're connected by. What do they have in common? And the big thing that they have in common is that it's all about signals. When we normally talk about culture, when we talk about building a culture, we, there are a lot of, we use a lot of words to describe it. We use a lot of talking. We use a lot of words like our core values and our, and our leadership and everything else. What they do, the way to understand what they do is to think in terms of signal, signal safety. They create connection by signaling safety. They share their vulnerability. They, they, they get better by sharing their vulnerability, by being honest about their weakness. And they share direction. They look at the direction that they're trying to go. And these, these environments end up being sort of soaked in these, in these really primitive, simple, primal signals that help, help build that culture and create that connection. Well, I'm going to hopefully dig a little deeper here because you know, you're talking about you know, the role that vulnerability plays. Um, you know, why specifically are they doing it? And, you know, I guess more importantly, why does it work? To get better. If you hide weakness on a team, you bypass the chance to improve. The most vivid example of this is how the Navy SEALs operate. They finish a mission, they get off the helicopter, they gather around, and they start analyzing what just happened. They analyze the weak points of what just happened, the mistakes. They analyze what did we do wrong? What are we going to do differently next time? And those meetings are really awkward. They're difficult. They're painful. It, it sort of is, is difficult to acknowledge error, um, especially in those kind of environments. And But that's the key to getting better. If you're constantly hiding weaknesses from each other, you can't improve. So there's that kind of vulnerability that typically gets uh, understood, the kind of model of vulnerability, this kind of emotional vulnerability. What this is, it's a, it's a performance vulnerability where they're saying, as one of the Navy SEAL commanders told me, the most important four words any leader can say is, I screwed that up. I screwed that up. Most of us are allergic to admitting that kind of vulnerability, to sort of talking about our screw-ups. But that is the difference maker when it comes to creating a successful culture, the ability to um, – to because that actually does create a connection. It creates, it creates trust. We sort of think we build trust from the ground up. In fact, we build trust by, by sharing weakness and sharing vulnerability, and, and groups understand that, and they, and they share vulnerability. It's almost like a, a cultural calisthenic. You know, the group is kind of like an athlete, and the way it gets stronger is by leaning into pain, um, leaning into weakness, leaning into mistakes. Just like, you know, an athlete gets stronger by, by leaning into pain. By We say no pain, no gain when you're in the gym. The exact same thing is true for any group. I don't care who you are. If you are covering up weaknesses, you won't be that strong. Brilliant. So, obviously, I, I, I totally understand this from the the competitive perspective. Um, so for folks who are working with highly competitive athletes or teams, so how would you use this concept 
uh, or how would you teach this concept to owners who who might want to build this into a staff meeting where we're not necessarily talking about what the team did wrong, but actually what the, the team of the business did wrong. That's right. Yeah, no, it's exactly, it, it works exactly in the same way. You can map it on directly. And the key thing to understand is that the leader needs to show their fallibility first. And that's one thing that Dave, why Dave Cooper, the, the Navy SEAL commander said, the, the four most important words a leader can say are, I screwed that up. The leader is the one who needs to express that first. That gives everyone else permission to be open. So what I see in good groups is a lot of leaders seeking feedback all the time and giving little handholds. You know, culture is created in small moments, and it's created when a leader says, hey, anybody have any ideas on this? Or I don't have the answers on this. Or, man, we really goofed that up, didn't we? Those are the moments where the signal, where instead of thinking words, thinking signals, where the signal is sent that, hey, this is about opening up. We are bigger than the sum of our parts. We can afford to be open with each other and we can create trust that way. So the leader doing that, and it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to do that as a leader, but when you do it multiple times, it becomes easier. And I've seen leaders do some really simple things like in a meeting, ask the least powerful person to speak first. It works better if you give them a heads up that you're going to do that, but if <laughs> the leader turns to um, the, the most recently hired person early on and says, hey, what do you think? It really opens up the whole room for ideas. So you're constantly sending signals that it's safe, that it's safe to share here, that you have a voice. You know, that idea, we talk about voice a lot in, in groups. Does everyone feel like they have a voice? Those voices get created in small moments when the leader turns and opens up things, opens up themselves or helps lift up a voice of someone else. Then that builds voice for everybody. Hmm. So you could, you could do this really even from with with the most junior leader or with the most junior staff member in the room and actually have them. I'm just thinking that somebody listening to this today who has a staff meeting tonight, uh, what a great opportunity for them to to implement and execute. And you know, maybe by giving that person a heads up and hey, listen, I, I may be calling on you to ask you about X, Y, and Z, and then doing that in front of the rest of their peers. Exactly right. Exactly right. Everybody else in it, it opens things up. You kind of think of it, you know, it's a lot of times we think of those moments in terms of being nice or in terms of thoughtfulness or in kind of these emotional terms. Actually, you have to think of it in terms of physics. Like relationships have a physics to them. And when you show vulnerability, when you open up weakness, it allows everyone else to be honest and builds trust. And there's all kinds of cool experiments I talk about in the book that demonstrate this. If you were to sit down with somebody, there's actually this crazy list. I encourage people to look it up by, uh, well, it's in, it's in the book, The Culture Code, or you can look it up online by a psychologist named Arthur Aaron. It's a list of like 40 questions, and they're designed to create vulnerability. They're real simple questions, but it's like, tell me something you've dreamed of doing. You've always dreamed of doing, you haven't done it. When, tell me why you haven't done it. They're questions like that. Or tell me the last time you sang in the shower. That's another one of the questions they ask, which is kind of a crazy question. But they're all designed to evoke like moments of honesty and vulnerability. And when you go through that, it creates tremendous interpersonal closeness. A lot of businesses suffer from what I would call kind of fake closeness or kind of a smoothness disease like where everything is just kind of smooth and it flows and nobody's ever quite opening up, but everything is kind of fake, uh, easy and, and close. 
Um, and good leaders find ways to kind of disrupt that and create some like genuinely there, there genuinely can be awkward moments, but that awkwardness is, is an, is a necessity to kind of create that closeness. So leaning into those, to the, those moments of awkwardness, um, is one of the most important thing, you know, a leader can do rather than to glide by on fake, you know, sort of smoothness disease. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. So if that's what the good cultures do, what do the worst cultures do? That's fine. And more importantly, how do we avoid doing so? Yeah, right. Well, the worst culture, I, you know, in this as part of this book, you know, I, I I tried to find the worst culture I could, you know, the absolute worst, and I found it actually in the uh, the people who are in charge of our nuclear missile. Uh, arsenal unfortunately they are that is an awful awful culture and it is awful because they are first of all isolated they're in the bottom of a silo in these damp horrible 1950s conditions um, secondly there is no margin for error in that job zero if you make a mistake you are punished as a result of this combination of isolation and no margin for error there has been this unbelievable string of cheating scandals and drug scandals and um, all manner of malfeasance and all manner of dysfunction in these places. Now, what I would say is that those aren't necessarily bad people in the bottom of those silos, but they're in an absolutely terrible condition by having absolutely no margin for error. So if you run an organization and you say, you are not allowed to make any mistakes, and if you do, I'm going to punish you severely, That's that would be step one to have a terrible culture. Step one, have severe punishments for tiny mistakes. Step two, isolate everybody isolate everybody put them far away from each other and and don't let them communicate very much in a human way if you do those two things you'll have you'll have a i guarantee you'll have a terrible culture um alternatively you want to create a great culture do the opposite like have a growth mindset with your people and acknowledge your own failures get them to talk about their own because you want people operating on the edge of their ability. You really want people to be making mistakes and learning from them, right? That's what you, if you're going to grow in this environment, in this business environment, you want your business to get better. You better be making mistakes, right? You better be making good mistakes and, and failing and learning and learning and learning and getting better and better every day and embracing that process of learning. Um, so do the opposite. You'd want to sort of create a situation where you're making a lot a rich, a rich stream of experiments and, and fixes and mistakes all the time so that you're constantly learning from your environment and people aren't afraid to stretch and reach and people are not isolated, but they are in close proximity to each other all the time in kind of a rich high collision environment. High collision environment. I like that. I like that phrase. That's, uh, that's important. Now, when you have folks who work together but not together, if that makes sense, right? Um, is there a way, like I guess, to bring that sort of teamwork mentality? Um, you know, like, how does one do that? Where, and I'm thinking about some of my some of my clients who, you know, they've got part timers, they've got full timers. Everyone's on a crazy different schedule. Um, there isn't always the opportunity for them all to be together and you know hugging and singing kumbaya together. Um, what can we do to still build that positive culture even when we don't have them maybe all physically together all the time? Yeah, I think there's there's a few things that you see you see done. You know, they're, they're creating virtual spaces that have those that same kind of a whole person casual hangout that, that I'm sure you're familiar with Slack. Mm -hmm. um, things like that can allow people to connect in a variety of ways that are kind of effortless. Um, 
And the other thing is to take advantage of whenever you can get people together, if you have an excuse to do it, if you have, it's worth the investment to do it. You know, there is no software like two people sitting face to face uh, hashing out an idea together. There's no software that replicates that experience of, of being having a face to face collision and contact with someone. Um, and there's all manner of research to support that, too, even even when you're separated a little bit physically, all manner of communication goes down and you can blame our evolutionary brain for that. You know, we're built to pay attention to people who are close to the fire. Right, who are really close to us, and that is uh, inescapable. So, if you are in a position where you've got a lot of remote people, two things: take it, use use whatever's there in terms of the video conferencing and Slack and tools like that to in, to to maximize the experience. But realize that you'll never be able to get by just on that. Realize that you do need to take advantage of getting people in physical proximity whenever you can. Got it. Got it. Tell me this, um, what made you go from the talent code to the culture code? Yeah, the talent code is really about how individual talent is built. And when I was visiting these places and looking at how how those lives were structured, you know, the, the best performers in the world, they frequently ended up being part of these really cool groups that I just, it just felt really neat to be in their presence. Um, and you know how when you walk into a great restaurant, you can kind of feel it? And you walk into a great school, you can feel it. You can you can see in this kind of shared attention, this magnetic snap of of awareness that everybody shares. That I, that really got me interested. Like, ooh, what's that made of? You know, I remember. In fact, you know, the moment the book really started was I was at a tennis club outside of Moscow called Spartak that's produced dozens of champions, and a new player showed up, and there was a little girl, and the head coach went over to her and. And noticed she was there, and the girl was scared. She had a racket in a, in a uh, grocery bag. And the coach went over to her with a tennis ball and said, um, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And then said, I want you to do something for me. And the little girl put down a racket, and the teacher tossed her a ball. And the little girl caught it. And it was just like the smallest little gesture, right? This famous teacher coming over to a new student and just having them catch a ball one time. But it was massive. That little gesture shifted the world for that girl it made her part of that group it crew signaled i would say it signaled safety and that is what great groups do they pay attention to that little moment where someone's crossing the threshold and they say you're safe here i see you i connect with you it's really really basic and it's really really important so if you want to that really got me fascinated by what's that made of that's incredibly powerful and then when i went and visited all these other groups they were throwing tennis balls too, not literally, but they were paying deep attention to the, exactly those kinds of moments in which culture is either built or not, right? And they were, they were able to create great cultures as a result. So what I started to realize was that culture, we think of culture as being this kind of magical thing that kind of emerges from special groups. That is baloney. Like culture is a skill. You know, culture is a skill. And if you learn how to signal it in the right way, you can build it. One, um, have you, did you work with anybody uh, who actually went through and fixed a broken culture? You know, that's that's an interesting one. I was actually 
part of it's, it's funny you'd ask. I was kind of part of one. You know, the the, uh, the Cleveland you mentioned. You know, but I, I've been an advisor for the Cleveland Indians for about the last four or five years, and they were not a broken culture by any means. But they were not very successful. They were, um, you know, as recently as five years ago, uh, in the in the bottom of their division and really struggling with all kinds of things on the field and off the field. And um, you know, because they read some of my work, my phone rang, and and I became uh, an advisor to them, kind of in this in this space of performance and also in culture. And I can promise you, I'm not the reason they're successful today, but I can say that I did have a front row seat to watching that change, to watching that shift, to watching that sort of sense of connection build, that that thing we call chemistry, um, which isn't really chemistry. It's it's really um, again just like the skill of building relationships. Uh, and to see that organization, you know, especially on the field, to have a to have a coach who is all about building relationships. And just to give you a, a teeny example of it, they happen to have a baseball coach named Terry Francona who, like, never um, he never teaches baseball. Like, he's a baseball coach, but he, he never tells anyone how to do anything. All he does is work on relationships. All he does is build connections to players, and he's he's quite a genius at it. So um, that's the level of kind of cultural attention that these places put toward those things. They're all about the relationship. They're all about creating safety, all about sharing vulnerability and providing direction. And um, so it takes time to turn around a culture. It really does. It's like it's like teaching an athlete a new move. You know, you've got to kind of figure out where you're at. You've got to build new kind of roadmaps uh, to go forward, and then you have to habituate on those roadmaps. You have to really get used to those moves, and that does take time. But, you know, as we saw in, in, in Cleveland, you know, went to the World Series last year, and we set a record for consecutive wins this year. So things are moving in the right direction, no question. So both the two lessons are it's hard to change, but when you get it going, it can start to build on itself and accelerate very quickly. So the experience from a culture changer's point of view is, man, it seems hard for a long time. And it seems like you're repeating a lot of things and it seems inefficient. But then it starts to roll and you start to get kind of this scaling effect and you start to have a culture that doesn't need uh, anybody uh, telling it what to do because it knows what to do. That's so cool. That is so, so cool. All right, Dan, it's time for our resource of the week. So tell me this. How can my listeners find out more about you and how you're really helping to uh, improve the culture of the world one uh, one day at a time? Ha, that's nice. Yeah, they can go to uh, danielcoil.com. There's a bunch of uh, key tools and, and, and stuff that uh, hopefully people find useful, including – we worked with some uh, some people to build a quiz where you could take it to kind of measure the strength of your culture. So it's it's a series of I think it's, it's under ten questions that ask very basic, primal questions about your culture. Like, is it safe to speak up? And you give an answer, and then so you end up getting a score whether your culture is strong, medium, or weak. Um, so it's a place to start where you can start figuring out, hey. This culture stuff isn't magic. There's really tools and ways to uh, ways to improve it if we think about it in the right way. Perfect. And obviously, there are links to grab your book either from there, or from Amazon, or any place books are sold. You bet. Perfect. All right, folks. DanielCoyle.com. That's www.danielcoyle.com. If you're streaming this off the site, obviously, just click on the the button that says DanielCoyle.com. All right. So, Daniel, I always like to. Uh, 
end my podcast with what I consider to be a telling question. So if you could give business owners just one solid piece of advice to either help their business grow or probably more importantly, help them to live a better life, what would that piece of advice be? It would be to send out or to ask, really, really to ask the people closest to you two questions. What do you want me to stop doing and what do you want me to keep doing? That's it. Just get some real simple feedback on how you can get better at what you do. Um, and that will send a signal to them that it's okay to do the same thing and really send a signal to the whole group that you guys are about learning. You're not about protecting your status. You're all about learning. And that can be a really powerful thing to do on a personal and professional level. I love those questions. What do you want me to stop doing? What do you want me to keep doing? Wow, so simple. So, so important. I love it. All right, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been fabulous. I know how busy your schedule is, and I I just appreciate the time you've shared with us as well as all this wisdom. These have been fabulous tips. My pleasure. Nice hanging out with you, Jason. Hope we get to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Folks, that's all the time we've got today. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. For more info about private coaching or see if you'd benefit from one of my mastermind groups, visit me over at www.jasonmsilverman.com. I look forward to helping you achieve the success that you truly deserve. Until next time, let me leave you with this. Get out there and be the real deal. Set a goal, make a plan, work like hell towards it, and achieve the success that's waiting for you. Now's the time. Get out there and make it happen. This has been Jason Silverman, and I hope you have a spectacular week. You've been listening to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. To access the great resources mentioned in the show and for information on coaching and mastermind group opportunities with Jason, please visit jasonmsilverman.com.